this morning I've entitled my message Divine Restlessness. Restlessness? I thought we were supposed to be at rest, right? See, preachers just can't make up their minds. One day they preach about resting in God, next day they talk about restlessness. What's going on here? Alright? So if you want to take out your notes and follow with me, I want to talk a little bit about divine restlessness. And I want to say this first. Divine rest and divine restlessness are two sides of the same coin. Divine rest, divine restlessness. They both, you'd see scriptures talking about both of them. And so I thought I wanted to just bring out some scriptures for each of them so that we know that um, the scriptures are full of both these postures in our walk with God. Rest in God and restlessness from that place of rest. All right? So let me explain a little bit and then I'll get to the text of my sermon. But Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the context that Jesus is talking about is not, he's not talking about rest in a tropical beach, you know, enjoying the nice sunny weather and uh, sipping pina colada. <laughs> Never had it in my life. Um, but he's not talking about that, right? It's a picture of two oxen yoked together plowing the field. It's your Monday mornings, friends, when you get out there and you're plowing in the field. Right? When you get out there and you're doing what God has called you to do, placed you wherever you are in that part of God's vineyard for you to shine for Him. Right? And He's inviting us in this midst of this toiling on Monday morning right, to say, rest, rest in me as we plow together. Look at Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, that shalom, that rest, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace, the shalom, the rest. But it's not outside the context. It's in the context of anxiety. Right? He's talking about anxiety. He's saying when you're faced with anxiety, right, don't be anxious. What? But anxiety is present. Yes. But it doesn't mean you have to take it on and be anxious. Right? So he's saying in the midst of that context of anxiety, he's saying um, it's not in the absence of anxiety, but in the midst of anxiety, he's inviting us to find rest, peace. All right? And this is his practical advice. How do you do that, Paul? Well, I think this, this gentleman, had, he, he, he had a PhD in anxiety. His life, since he accepted Jesus Christ, was bombarded by anxious moments, all right? And trials and tribulations. But this is his advice. And by the way, he's advising you from prison, all right? As he writes the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippine church. He says, bring all your needs to God, 
And what's the cocktail of rest? Prayer, supplication. Now what's supplication? It's continued, intensified prayer. Not just praying, but continue with your supplication. Intensify the prayer time. Alright? And, and so prayer, supplication, and don't forget a dose of thanksgiving. Right? That keeps you in this place of peace and rest in God. Isaiah prophesied this in 26 verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah is describing this rest as perfect peace. Right? And then he gives us an insight into staying in this atmosphere of rest. He says, how do you do that? Your mind is stayed on God. There's a connection between where your mind is dwelling and how you are feeling. Alright? Um, and so, he's giving us a practical way to know whether you're trusting God or not. Just check where your mind is dwelling for the day. If your mind is dwelling a lot on the problematic issues of your life, alright? Chances are you're going to be at unrest. But if you train your mind to dwell in God and stay in God, right? Um, in the midst of whatever is going through, pause, breathe, notice where your mind is. Keep it staying on God. Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Enter his rest, he's saying. It's something you have to enter into, right? Enter his rest. But it's, I, I, I particularly like this scripture and I find it helpful because um, whenever I'm outside his rest, I'm vulnerable to disobedience. The rest in God is so important. It's that environment that cultivates obedience in my life. Because it is in that place of rest that I am, I'm, I have a tendency, a, a better chance, a stronger draw towards obeying the will of God. Right? So divine rest is the environment that cultivates obedience. So, the Bible, and there are more than what these scriptures, you probably are thinking of some of those scriptures about divine rest. But divine rest is imperative. It's not the absence of work, but it is in the midst of it. It is not the absence of anxiety, but in the midst of it. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving creates that rest. Staying your mind on Him cultivates that rest. Divine rest is the environment that produces obedience. So it is important that we cultivate divine rest. But at the same time, if you flip the coin, you also start seeing scriptures about divine restlessness. Right? Because the scriptures want to talk to us about this danger of complacency. They're sitting down and resting in God and, and saying, yeah, it's all going to be okay. She'd be right, mate. Right? Yeah, she'd be right. If we know the two sides of the coin, all right? 
So let's look at some of the divine restlessness scriptures. Look at Hebrews 5, 11 to 12. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So he's questioning why these members in the Hebrew church, right? They should be growing by now. They should be mature by now. And yet they are still feeding on milk like babes, right? So the Bible is warning here of complacency that can creep into our Christian life where we become dull of hearing God's word. And that dullness of hearing God's word. Ah, I've heard that before. Oh yeah, I read that scripture before. And so you get to this place where you are dull of hearing God's word. Right? And that's a dangerous place to be. So check your diet. What's the sort of spiritual food you're eating? Right? You can't just live on milk now that you have journeyed with God in a distance, for a distance now. Right? You need to feed on some solid food. That's the sign of maturity. Right? Stop circling around the soft and fluffy stuff of the word of God. Start feeding on some solid food right, to bring about maturity in our lives. And so he's stirring us up, making us restless from just settling in into a complacent hearing of God's word. Right? So if you've been a Christian for a while, you need to handle solid food by now. Time to be stirred up from your complacency. That's basically what Hebrews author is trying to do. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run this way, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, bringing it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. What Paul is saying is, you can, even in, in, in where he is, in the situation he is in, where he travels around, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, surrounded by revival or riots, one of the two will happen when Paul comes to town. Right? And so when he's going through that, he's so aware that it's so easy to just become complacent. And he's saying, look, I'm like this athlete, buffing up my body, just like this. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that funny, <laughs> right? He's buffing up, he's keeping himself fit because he's a spiritual athlete. He's got to keep running, right? And he's saying, look, if I don't do this, I can talk the talk. But if I'm not walking the walk, I disqualify myself. Right? So there's, there's a rest that creates spiritual lethargy that he feared would disqualify everything he has cultivated this far. And he didn't want to do that. One more. Actually, two more. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Don't forget where he's writing from. This is from the prison, all right? Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice how Paul is creating for himself that environment of restlessness. All right? He's saying, I don't count myself that I've arrived already. I think as far as Paul is concerned, nobody will blame him if he sits in prison and says, ah, let me just take a break. I'm going to rest. Probably by now, more than 20 churches that he has personally planted. All right? And out of that, more than 50 over churches have come about in his lifetime. All right? And these are strong vibrant churches. So you'd think that he might say, yeah, I haven't done too badly. Now he's not wanting to get to this place of complacency even when he's in prison. And so he says, I forget about all that. Right? No time to look at that at all my achievements right now. Right? Plenty of time to sit back and bask on my achievements when I'm with the Lord. Right? But now, what does he do? Forget it. It's going to make me complacent, right? And so he makes himself restless, reaching forward, pressing toward the goal of the upward call. So you see, there is this two sides of the coin. Divine rest, divine restlessness, right? And the importance in our Christian walk is to find that divine balance, right? And Divine rest and divine restlessness, two sides of the same coin, but we need to find that divine balance between the two. And I think Isaiah, we go back to Isaiah, gives us a little secret there. Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Look, the rest was important. Wait on God, right? Young people might go weary, right? Try running with these jokers. I can't, right? They, they, but they even will get tired. They even will get weary, right? But those who wait on the Lord. But that waiting, can you see there's a rest? But out of that rest comes activity. Out of that rest comes mounting on wings as eagles. Out of that rest comes running. Out of that rest right, comes walking and not fainting. It is this balance of waiting and out of that waiting, out of that resting, all right, you stir yourself up into the things that God has called you to do. Christian discipleship is learning to develop the divine balance of being at rest while staying restless. That's Christian discipleship. That's why we gather every week to remind each other, right? When we are overly restless and we notice anxiety, we notice um, just drivenness, hey, flip the side. Time to rest, right? Rest. The divine balance between waiting and moving forward, right? Rest 
while staying restless. So that brings me to the passage of scripture. And I'll go to this and then we'll bring this message to a close. But if you turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We are coming after Jesus rose from the dead. After he presented himself all right, to the disciples. In fact, the context. Um, let's read chapter 1 verse 10 to 14. And then we'll just quickly um, talk about context. So one, Acts chapter 1 verse 10. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. This was not Judas who betrayed Jesus. This was the other Judas, son of James. Right? They all met together, were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brother of Jesus. Now, I want to focus a little bit on this verse 14. King James says, these all conti continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Continued with one accord. The context of this is, Jesus had come, presented himself on the very day he rose from the dead to the disciples. Then he went around presenting himself, Paul says to 500, over 500 people who saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ, in his resurrected body. They physically saw him. Alright. Um, they would have supped with him. They would have eaten with him. He sat there and he taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Imagine being in that Bible school. 40 days in the presence of the resurrected Savior. I can't even imagine if he was glowing when he was before resurrection. You remember when he was on Transvigor, the Mount of Transfiguration? And he was glowing, you know, shimmering like lightning. Can you imagine now with his resurrected body what he must have been appearing, appearing like? 40 days in the midst of the very presence of God Almighty. Alright? 40 days. So then they're standing there, the disciples, and they see Jesus ascending to the heavens. And the two angels stand there and say, What are you guys doing? What are you doing? Are you not seeing what's going on here? Right? It really would be a good time to build a little um, church maybe, call it the Church of Ascension. You know? And we gather and share about all the wonderful experiences we've had with God. Stand and gaze and enjoy this 40 days. Why don't we do that? You know? Who would blame us for that? You know, I can't even catch up. I can't even breathe with this excitement of 40 days with this wonderful savior of mine. So let's, let's take a break, right? But the angels say, don't stand here and gaze, right? He's going to come back exactly like that. Don't worry about him, right? You now go and get on with the job. So they go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the upper room, right? And then um, this, is, this is what um, 
King James says, these all continued with one accord. I want to take that word continued. That Greek word continued is proskaterio. Right? It comes from two Greek words. Pros, which is go forward. And kratos, which is vigor, strength, energy, enthusiasm. After the 40 days, after they see Christ going, after being told, don't, don't stand here. Right? Go out there and do something. They gather with this posture now. All right? Moving forward with vigor, strength, energy, and enthusiasm. That's what they wanted to do. Let's continue. Let's move forward. All right? Let's have this posture of not just standing and enjoying what God has done this far, but actually using this momentum now and moving forward in God. Right? They decided they were not going to just stand there gazing. They were to move forward with vigor, strength, energy, and enthusiasm. So I want to say this as we close. What creates that posture of moving forward with Kratos? Now, I know this. Whenever we are praying for something, we get really involved in prayer. And then the answer to prayer comes and you get so excited, you know, about the answer to prayer. It's quite easy to stand and gaze. But what we should be doing is to use that momentum to move forward for the next person who needs prayer, right? When you see a healing or you experience your own healing, right? Use that as a momentum to move forward, right? To continue and see someone else healed because you have experienced that prayer and that breakthrough, right? So what creates this moving forward with Kratos? I believe... It's divine restlessness. Coming from the place of rest, flipping that coin, in that place of rest, we need to stir ourselves up to move forward in God. Right? It is that deep hunger for more. This is not it. This is wonderful, but this is not it. 40 days in the presence of God Almighty, wonderful, but it's not it. There is more. Seeing Jesus face to face is wonderful, but that's not it. There is more. Experiencing 500 people one time experiencing God. That's not it. There is more. Right? And it's, it's, it's amazing. 500 people saw Jesus, heard his teachings. Only 120 decided to go to the upper room and move forward. It's quite easy and tempting to stand and gaze. So I want to take you to Psalm 24, verse 3 to 6. I promise you we'll close with this. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 6. Here the psalmist declares these words. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. What is the psalmist saying? Who is this who's going to ascend to God? Who is this who's going to have this pure heart? All right? It's not by what we do, but it's to have and emulate the spirit of Jacob. Why didn't he call him Israel? He specifically said Jacob. Why? Because you must go back to Peniel. 
What happened in Peniel? Here's Jacob. He comes with two, um, he calls it his two camps, huge, massive, all right? Twelve sons, massive um, blessings of God, all right? Two camps moving forward, all right? Large blessings of God. You would think that now Jacob would be satisfied. What is there? What else is there? I've been blessed with 12 sons and God has blessed me and my children. We have this massive abundance, all right? Enough for generations to come. What is there to want more? But you see, he goes to Peniel and then he experiences, he sees God and he wrestles with God. And his attitude was this, I will not let you go until you bless me. What blessing was he seeking after? He knew, yes, I've got some physical blessings here. Yes, I've seen God give me breakthroughs. Yes, in the midst of people trying to uh, deceive me, God has protected me from that and blessed me. But there is more. There is more with God. And so he wrestles with God and says, I know there's more. Give me more of yourself. Right? And God rewards him with a limp. <clears throat> Touches his hip. He limps. But every time he limps, he knows he encountered God. And there is always more. The psalmist looks at that experience and he says, that's the posture. That's the posture you need. You want to rise up in the hills of God. You want to experience purity of God. You want to go up to the mountains and experience God face to face. The posture is this, that Jacob generation, an entire people who would catch hold of the spirit of Jacob and say, I won't let you go, Lord, until you bless me. I won't let you go until you bless my children. I won't let you go until you bless my family. I won't let you go until you bless the people around me. I won't let you go, Lord, until we experience the fullness of God. And this is not it. This is not enough. I want more, Lord. That spirit of Jacob, that generation that God is looking for. I hope we will be that generation that the psalmist spoke of. That we will have this constant desire for more of God. Divine rest, but out of that divine rest, divine restlessness for more of God. More of God, Lord. This, this new season in Aotearoa, New Zealand. More, Lord. More. Speaking to these beautiful young women here. More. I want the best school, Lord. I want to go to the best school. I want to have the best experiences here in New Zealand. You know, and I want to be a blessing to those who are around me. Divine restlessness. Never settle. Never be satisfied. Have a godly frustration. This is not it, Lord. There is more. Don't ever gaze. Don't settle. Be in the posture of continued moving forward. Divine restlessness. But make sure every activity you are involved in is coming from a place of divine rest. Let's develop this divine balance, shall we? Let's remind each other of this divine balance by being at rest while staying restless. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. For more resources, or if you would like to support this ministry, 
visit us at activefaith.org.nz.